0: The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Oh man, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Again, whether you're looking through that windshield right now or, you know, if you're viewing online, or maybe not the windshield, maybe one of the side windows, but yeah, so glad you're joining us, and again, maybe you're at home, but a couple things real quick, if you are here in person, um, you may have saw, or may have seen, or however you say that, but um, you might have caught that Andrew Munoz was out helping get cars parked and stuff like that, and so it's really great to have him back, we're so thankful for him, and, and even just his leadership, yeah, you can honk for that, why not, that's, that's worth honking for, Um I do want to say that that uh, if you didn't catch him on the way in, my hope would be that you can kind of catch him on the way out and give him a wave or a welcome or, you know, good to see you, good to have you back. If you were part of that Zoom call on Wednesday night, the goal was really just to kind of get in there and hear from him a little bit and his heart and a little bit of their journey, but um, just to kind of get familiar. So we're excited that he'll be around and you guys will get to see him, and especially as we continue to navigate the answers to Grove Snohomish and how that's going to look over time. So that should be good. But we also want to let you know, kind of on the other end, as we did last Last week of the spectrum that, um, Crystal Henderson this is her last Sunday with us as a team member as far as she's been our Snohomish campus um, kids lead really we've had the campus two years and she's been leading that whole time and done a great job and we love her so much but she did post on social media today just her heart of like man I just really want to focus on my family right now a lot going on and feel like that's what I'm called to do so we honor that but we love her respect her if you happen to see her on your way out if you know Crystal obviously make sure you give her that wave and and just to maybe say thanks or, or whatever that might be. But uh she'll be around. We just appreciate her leadership, even though that's kind of coming to a close. Um, Just just a quick thing too I am talking with braces in my mouth So I'm doing my best not to slur and drool And all that stuff But it's a little bit of a challenge So bear with me Uh, Anyway, that's what's going on there We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 As we wind down our series Once upon a time Um, We'll get to Matthew 16 here momentarily But for the last one today uh, Once upon a time I want to start with this Once upon a time There was Jesus Born of a virgin, um, raised as a carpenter and the son of a carpenter, baptized by John the Baptist, who also told the crowds that Jesus was the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. In fact, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, remind us and john clearly that he was preparing the way for jesus that john the baptist was preparing the way for jesus in fact in the gospel of john so follow me here john the baptist is one individual john the disciple was someone entirely different but john the disciple says this the next day john saw jesus coming toward him and said look the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world this is the one i meant when i said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me i myself did not know him he but the reason i came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to israel Then John gave this testimony. Listen, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, specifically, listen to this. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now, remember that phrase, because once upon a time there was Jesus. Now, Matthew chapter 16, there's a key story that's worth you and I considering today. So Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus asked them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? That, my friends, is the question of questions. Jesus doesn't want to know the opinion of the day and and, and all that others have to say about who he is. He asks them specifically, who do you say that I am? He presses them to know what they believe about him. Now, let's bring this a little more personal, and I want you to really consider this specifically. Every one of us must answer that question for ourselves. Not a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa or auntie or uncle or friend or even a pastor. You, you must answer when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Think about it. Now, here's why it's important. Because that is the Jesus that people are reading in your life. A.W. Tozer in Knowledge of the Holy says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So the question for you, what comes to mind when you think about Jesus? What comes to mind? And I want you to pause and consider. Pause and churn over that thought. Immediately, when I wake up in the morning, what do I think about God? What do I think about Jesus? This thought should haunt us. Is he a rescuing savior? Is he a condemning judge? Is he a grace giver? Is he the ultimate sacrifice and example of laying down his own rights? I was reading in the reading plan the last few days and, and we were, or we are in Romans and in Romans chapter one, keep in mind, let me go back a little bit here. In Romans, it's really a, a book or a letter written by Paul that's written really as systematic theology. Chapter 1 then then is is you know, chapter 2 builds on 1 chapter 3 builds on 2 it's systematic chapter 1 Paul jumps in and says this the wrath of god is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about god is plain to them because god has made it plain to them for since the beginning Of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from that which was made so that men are without excuse. But even though he goes on to talk about God has revealed Himself, we 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 lay that aside and we do our own thing. So he talks about we exchange the glory of God for mortal beings made to look like you know humans and birds of the air and animals of all kinds, and we you know idolize a set of idols like that. We we exchange, Paul says, normal sexual relations for other relations, a, a man with a man or a woman with a woman. He goes into all this stuff and, and he talks about how we go our own way, we do our own thing, and he talks about all. all. All these problems that are going on. And what we do oftentimes, sometimes as followers of Christ, and I've seen this in Christian circles, especially in places of leadership, we read that and go, yeah, look at that mess. Yeah, look at how terrible. Yeah, look at them. They better stop that. They're guilty and they shouldn't. And how dare and what a problem this is. But don't forget, like I said, Romans is a systematic theology book. He starts in chapter one and then goes into chapter two, which says this, you therefore have no excuse You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. Verse two, now we know that God's judgment against those who do things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, listen to this, pass judgment on them and do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Now, verse four is a clincher here. Listen carefully. Or. Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Did you catch that? The New Living Translation of that verse says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So in Romans 1, Paul paints this picture of a problem, and instead of you and I going, look at that mess. Paul stops and goes, don't think it's all about out there, turn it inward and think about how are you handling what's going on? Because instead of passing judgment and being mean to other people who don't agree with you or do the same things or think or even believe the same, stop for a minute and realize it's God's kindness that helps you be drawn to who he is and therefore surrender To what he asks. It's God's kindness. See, if God is so wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient with us, and if we're all honest, he is very tolerant and kind and patient. If he's so much so that way with us, what about the way that we respond in relationship to those around us, to those that live near us, to those that we navigate around in the stores, to those that we go to work and we interact with, to those that we see or or we comment on social media. Oh, dear Lord. See, go back to the gospel of John and in, in chapter one, verse four, it says this, in him was light, sorry, in him was life. And this life was the light of all mankind. Are we living with a sense of of, of life in us? A sense of light shining through us? Are we living that way? He goes on in verse 16. Listen to these words. Indeed, John 1 verse 16. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace because of his fullness. If you and I have received an abounding fullness of grace upon grace, then what would hinder us from extending copious amounts of grace? There's your word of the day, copious. You're welcome. What? What? Why would we receive so much and yet give so little in the way of God's grace in our lives? As... I'm talking through with, with my wife, my heart in this message. She had some thoughts that have been so good. And some of these I've already shared a bit of, but, but I wanted to read a little bit of, of what she had typed out as we're navigating this message because she was helping me. And she, she said this, we live in a world where we exasperate people. Do you know what that means? When Paul talks about fathers don't exasperate your kids, it's this idea that we have a dominant position as a parent and and kids don't have that dominant position. And so when there's a problem, an issue of disobedience, a a problem where, where there's a certain level of discipline needed or something, instead of dealing with it appropriately, we explode and get frustrated and annoyed and make them feel terrible, but we don't give them an avenue to make it right. And my wife was saying, and I'm just reading this, We live in a world where we exasperate people because we don't allow the chance to make reconciliation. We're throwing out judgment all over the place. People post and then we comment and we get into these battles online and there's no room for grace in these conversations somehow. We live in a world where as a church, we're making decisions, trying to figure out what things look like. People get so up in arms about stuff. And and, and yet, where in the world is there the ability for us to live with a spirit of reconciliation, because what happens is when we don't do that, it's really, listen to me carefully, it's really an anti-Christ spirit because Jesus came to reconcile the world to himself. And Paul says, it's a mess, things are terrible, but he says, don't forget you and I needed that grace. Oh my word, it's his kindness that leads us to a place of that grace that pours over us and we're led to repentance. Shouldn't we who have been given, I'm reading this, shouldn't we who have been given the gift of reconciliation be the very first in line to offer reconciliation to lost people, people who hurt us or offend us or don't live in ways that we think are right? Right. This is my wife saying this, Jesus poured out his life and love and fullness for us. How can we offer love and speak out of the fullness of Christ, offering grace upon grace to those we encounter? Think about it this way, just another way. Christians, as followers of Christ, many of us, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. Why in the world would we want to live on the defensive as if we have the weaker position? And I love that that as we're going through this, she's bringing this up. We have the weaker, but why is that? Instead of being in a position where we're vessels that hold the hope of the world in light of men. We act like we will lose if we offer grace upon grace. Don't mistake kindness for weakness. Kindness is the secret sauce that draws men to Repentance before a holy and good God. Quoting from John Tyson, pastor of New York Church of the City, listen to this carefully. Something happens when we sacrifice like Jesus and we pour out our lives in love as he does. We begin to tap into the resources of God and our sacrifice doesn't end up costing us what we have. It ends up activating the resources that he has. Now listen to this carefully. And the fruit of that is that we are well watered and our light shines and we are community like no other. When you consider the world that Jesus was born into, when you consider how he taught the disciples to respond as they faced at times hostility, as they faced times that that weren't so comfortable and easy, how did they respond? They they raised up an army? Did they they draw swords? No, the one time that the sword was drawn, Jesus said, put that away, Peter. You just took off a guy's ear, knock it off. How did they respond? With grace upon grace, with love. And the kind of love that was so compelling that it drew people to him, not away from him. Are you living like that? Am I living like that? Or do I end up building a blockade that somehow people have to figure out how to jump over or get through in order to see Jesus? Heaven help us if we're building blockades. Another thing that that Heather mentioned, and I love how she says it, I'm just going to read. This madness of a parched land and evilness of our days should drive us to our knees begging for wisdom and the grace enough to offer in generous portions to the thirsty. Parched souls, wandering without hope and without peace and anxious minds, we are surrounded by thirsty souls without anything to satisfy their thirst. And often we offer them nothing or perhaps a bitter drink not representative of the sweet, satisfying water of Jesus. How did Jesus respond to the woman at the well? How did Jesus respond to Zacchaeus? How did Jesus respond to Matthew, the tax collector? How did Jesus respond to Peter or to you or to me? A pastor friend of mine in Montana this last week um, got, got a hold of a story that kind of went viral in this community, and, and he's a friend of mine, so I kind of picked up this up and I was reading it, but it blew up and it went like this. There was a woman in Montana that slapped a man who wasn't wearing a mask and was kind of being a bit audacious and, 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 and rude and outspoken about his right not to wear one, and the story got out, and it turns out she's a business owner. And all of a sudden, people went on, on to Yelp and onto Google reviews and began to post about her and what she had done and, and give her bad reviews and tell her, avoid the business, get away, don't go there, shut her down. She's terrible. And my pastor friend, as he's sharing this story, began to say, you know, it kind of reminded me of a story in the Gospels. And if you're looking for it, it's in John chapter 8. The Pharisees bring a woman to Jesus and and while very different circumstances, this woman in the in the scriptures was caught in adultery, and the Pharisees bring her and 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 tell her, Hey, Rabbi, Lord, what should we do with a woman caught in adultery? Well, the easy answer according to the law was she was supposed to be stoned to death. I won't even get into where's the guy? Cause it takes two to tango, as far as I remember. But there's no the, ga, the gal's there, and, and they're, what are you going to do, Lord? And here she is, and she could be thinking based on him being Lord or Rabbi, well, the law says, kill me. These are, I have hours. I'm not going to live much longer. I know what's supposed to happen. And it says in the story in John 8 that Jesus stooped down and, and began to kind of scribble in the dirt with his finger. And there's this kind of dramatic pause in the story, and Jesus looks up after being asked, what should we do with her? And after that pause, he says, as he looks at the people there, tell you what, why don't the one without sin cast the first stone? Well, it says in the story that little by little, the crowd began to walk away one by one. And it says this, starting with the oldest and then moving to the youngest. And I did think about that, that it's strange that it says that. And yet I can't help but think that maybe it's because as you and I mature, we have a greater sense of, of the burden of sin in our own lives. The fact that, that you know, when you're young in faith, maybe you don't really get the gravity of what Jesus has done to that degree. But the longer I live, like I said, I've been in Jesus now 28 years. And I think about, like, man, alive, I'm, I'm pretty wretched. That as we grow in our, in our maturity, we understand that it says one by one, they walked away, starting with the oldest and moving to the youngest. And then Jesus, again, stooping down, stands up and looks at the woman and says, where, where are those that condemn you? Is there anyone left? The answer is obvious. And she says, no, there's no one. Jesus says this, then neither do I condemn you. Now go and, and, and leave the sin stuff. Quit doing this. And the woman receives grace upon grace now the story is a poignant one for all of us that when god extends grace to us oh my word it should bring us to tears but but i love how my pastor friend after talking about the story said this and it's a little bit of a left turn from from that purpose of the story but the question was this when did we start throwing stones How is it that we become so much known for what we're against than who we're for? What does it look like for you and I to extend grace upon grace to a world that needs it? When Paul says in Romans 2, don't we understand? May we never forget? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It shouldn't be any different for those around us that we're trying to help see Jesus through our lives. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, who do people, or who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that's an incredibly perfect answer. But here's the reality in your life and my life. It's not very often that somebody will directly pointedly ask you, who is Jesus? I've had those moments many times as a pastor, as a believer in Christ. And I have wept at times when I've got to share with people and and got to pray with them and they invite Jesus to be the Lord of their lives. I can remember many times weeping in those moments. But the simple fact is there's not a lot of people right now that are asking you, who is Jesus? But you know what they are doing? They are watching how you live and you better believe that the eyes of the world are reading Jesus in you are watching your actions are testing the waters of any type of spirituality based on how you carry yourself based on how I carry myself. What do people see in you that live next door? What do people see in you that, that you work with? What do people? And now here, here's the deal. It's what do people see in social media? What's the temperature of you on social media? Because it matters. The deal is this. We may not always get it right. We don't. We're in process. But let's at least start with digging into who Jesus was as he offered reconciliation. That you and I, can be agents of reconciliation, that we can represent grace upon grace in the fullness of Christ. Father, today, that's my prayer, that God, we can be people that extend that kind of grace, that kind of love, that when we think back to, for many of us, the the moment that we prayed and said, Jesus, I believe you paid the price for my sin. I, I need that desperately, that it wasn't out of the uh, judgment and, and, and wrath, I hope, but it would be out of the fact that you extend a new beginning. You extend that fresh start. You extend that grace to every one of our lives. I pray we would never forget that, but we would also realize it's our role to live it out, that people can see that grace upon grace in Christ through us. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, thanks again. For joining us today. Again, whether you're watching online, maybe you're viewing through that windshield. Uh, a couple things that I want to mention before you head out. First of all, if you did drive in, there's a Connect card. Of course, if you're online watching, um, you can click on that link there, and, and there, there's a link you can fill out for prayer, anything you got going on. Let us know, because we do pray throughout the week for every single need that comes in all the time, and so I encourage you to do that. If you did drive in, you should have received a card. If you rolled down your window and you got one, I encourage you to take a moment and fill that out. Hand it in upon your exit it in the bins there. We also have have those giving envelopes and then you receive those as well. If you got anything you want to give, we appreciate that on your way out. Put those in the bins as well. And of course, if you want to give online at grove.church, that is the easiest way to do that and we appreciate your financial faithfulness. Also, want to mention that back in the day when we were meeting in a building, um, at the end of a worship set, we would offer prayer and have people come up and it's a little different now, but not only can you fill out a card or online, you can click on that link and ask for prayer, but if you drove in today, on your way out we have a separate line that if you want prayer, As you're making your way out, just turn on your four-way flashers. The parking crew will direct you to a separate line where we've got a prayer team that we just want to pray with people. We believe in the power of agreeing in prayer, and if you want that at appropriate distance, wearing a mask, of course they will be, but uh, if you want to jump in that line and you want to receive prayer, we encourage you to do that. Just turn on those four-way flashers as you make your way out. Otherwise, have a great week. Thanks for being here. God bless, and uh, make sure you wear sunscreen. Okay, there's your summer warning. Okay, God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.